Hi, I'm Gary. Welcome to a special programme in support of Bishop Auckland Heritage Action Zone Festival 2022. In this special programme, you will hear from Anne Allen from Bishop Auckland Heritage Action Zone, sometimes referred to as Barhas or The Has. You will hear from John Raw from the Friends of Stockton and Darlington Railway, Caroline Smith of the Bishop Big Dig, and we meet Marilyn from County Durham's Forum for History and Heritage. There is music from award-winning local singer-songwriter Rosie Anderson, the Pitman Poets and John Lambert. Let's begin by welcoming Anne Allen. Anne Allen, welcome to Bishop FM. Would you like to tell our listeners uh, who you are and what your role is? Hello, um, thanks Gary. Yes, my name's Anne. Um, I work for the Heritage Action Zone in Bishop Auckland, which is a project jointly funded by Historic England and Durham County Council. So it's all about bringing uh, vacant buildings back into use, restoring some of our um, older buildings um, and doing community engagement, including uh, an annual heritage festival. Our heritage is rich in this area of County Durham and Bishop Auckland and surrounding area, all, all the way from the archaeological digs that are taking place and, and there's the Bishop Big Dig going on. And there's so much history under our feet. Where do we start? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in Bishop Auckland in the 80s and it's remarkable to me actually how much new information there is, especially in terms of the archaeology. So I remember digging at Binchester before a lot of the um, recent work, you know, which has shown just how extensive the fort was and how really the first Bishop Auckland, if you like, was up on the hill at Binchester mm. um, and then moved down to the uh, castle site with the foundation. Um, of the castle so we do know a lot more about you know the the ancient or not um, you know the older history if you like um, of the town but we also through the work of the heritage action zone now know quite a, a a lot more about 19th and 20th centuries you know the sort of industrial heyday mm -hmm. yes and of course the railway is very much involved in that as well yeah absolutely i got i remember that railway getting converted into the um into the road and the uh, tunnel uh, disappearing and obviously the viaduct coming back into use and um, that was probably um, among the first campaigns you know to save some of our important uh, buildings and structures um, that in the town hall which of course was under threat uh, in the 1980s of being demolished um, and thanks to what turned into the civic society which is still going today um, we were able to save the building and it's been you know refurbished a couple of times since then most recently I think a million and a half spent on it um, and it, of course it's a, it's a fantastic facility for the town it's it's the probably with the castle the iconic building. Mm. Now the Bishop Auckland Heritage Action Zone uh, celebrate the work that they do uh, once a year in terms of a festival but I know there must be a huge amount of background work going on all the time and, and, and this is an opportunity to invite the public along to let them know exactly what progress is being made and how they themselves can become involved in the whole project of uh, discovering uh, our, our rich heritage and and preserving it. So how are we celebrating it this year? What are the public going to see if they engage with the festival this year? 
Yep, so there are several um, key um, events. Um, at the moment, we're in the middle of Heritage Open Days, which is a, a national event that happens every year. So um, places that aren't always open to the public or sometimes places that usually charge um, are opening their doors free of charge. So um, the Walls Garden at Auckland Castle, which of course has been restored, that is open. Um, the People's Museum um, in the Hippodrome, um, that's where the Majestic Bingo is. Um, they're open um, upstairs free of charge. Um, and St Anne's and St Andrew's, of course, two fantastic churches um, will be opening their doors as well. So there's Heritage Open Days and then um, we opened quietly on Monday um, a new exhibition in the town hall. Uh, which is free to go in uh, whenever the town halls open, which is uh, 10 till 4, Monday to Saturday. And that um, really tells the story of what the has has been doing and what's yet to come. We're just about going into our final year now. Um, so there's an exhibition there, uh, which will also have some artefacts from the recent excavations in the castle and the Bishop Big Dig. Um, they'll be added to the exhibition um, next uh, week, well after the 20th, um, because at the moment the Book of Condolence is in the strong room. Um, obviously that's there for anyone who wants to go and, and pay their respects um, at this time. Yeah. Um, and, and all of this takes some putting together, doesn't it? Um, well, we're very um, lucky to have had County Durham Forum for History and Heritage, which is, a, a as it says, a county-wide um, network, if you like, of local heritage societies. They've been helping us. Um, also, the Civic Society, the People's Museum and Durham Amateur Football Trust. Um, and, you know, these are the groups that will carry on um, all of this activity beyond the end of the project that I'm involved in. So it is really important that we um, recruit some new uh, members to uh, to keep those organisations going. Mm. When I was talking to the wonderful people from the Stockton and Darlington Railway, uh, I, I asked them about the railway heritage, some of it uh, being at risk and whether projects still to be discovered or that have been discovered that nothing's been able to be done with them yet because of funding or time or number of volunteers. I know there are so many factors involved in this, but I guess heritage must be at risk. That, that's absolutely right. I mean, the, the whole reason that the Heritage Action Zone project came about is because the conservation area, which extends the marketplace, um, the upper end of Newgate and Four Bongate, um, that area has been um, classified as um, heritage at risk because of the dilapidated state of many of the buildings. Um, and that's, you know, deterioration that's happened over many years. It's not a recent phenomenon. Hmm. Um, so certainly, you know, since the 80s and many of those buildings now are in a state of what's called conservation deficit. You know, it costs more to do them up than there is value in the premises. So nobody will do them up unless there's grants um, to support that activity. Um, mm. So part of what we've been doing is uh, helping businesses to restore buildings and bring them back into use by giving grants. Right. Now, what about the Heritage Action Zone itself? You, did you say that there is one year left to go? 
Yes, that's right. So we're in the final year. Uh, we officially wind up in March next year, but there'll be some activity carrying on until the end of September next year. But at that point, we effectively, you know, hand, hand back, if you like, mm. uh, the baton to all of those other organisations that will continue in the town. Right. So the work will go on, but but kind of in, in your absence, we will lose the, the overseeing um, entity that is the Heritage Action Zone. Well, we hope that what we've done is stimulate um, some of the um, investment that's going on at the moment. Mm. You know, that is the real purpose of the Heritage Action Zone, to be a catalyst for what you might call heritage-led regeneration. Um, and we certain, we're certainly seeing that. And there will be projects that will have started under the HAS, but which will continue beyond the life of the HAS, because it takes many years to realise some of these projects. Yeah, <laughs> I love the word HAS. And, and bar has they've entered my vocabulary quite quite sufficiently well enough to stay with me forever has and bar has fantastic <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so people like to refer to it as the has and then you know folks that are not familiar with that acronym say what <laughs> can i just flag two more things before i go by um, all means so yeah Sixth of September, um, Bishop Auckland Civic Society are having their annual general meeting, and they've got a guest speaker who's coming to us from Spain, but he's originally from County Durham. Uh, he's now a lecturer in the University of Navarra, and he's going to talk about um, what's believed to have been a Viking battle of Bishop Auckland in AD 844. It's fairly controversial, but I think it'll also be good fun. So that's one to watch out for. Um, and then um, our festivity for this year end on the 1st of October which is Sporting Heritage Day that's a national day and um, Durham Amateur Football Trust are going to be holding an event at King James Academy that day Well Anne it's been a pleasure to speak to you thank you very much for giving us that insight into the work of HAS and, uh, and we look forward to the celebrations that lie ahead of us Great, thank you very much, Gary. On the subject of celebrations, we're remembering the 27th of September, 1825. Here, with John Raw from the Friends of Stockton and Darlington Railway. My name's John Raw. I've got many hats, but one of the things I'm involved with uh, is something called the Friends of the Stockton and Darlington, particularly with, with the west end of the line. And the end of September sees the anniversary of uh, the Stockton and Darlington Railway line, the line that got the world on track. Um, now, generally, these events are held uh, alternately in Shildon, in Darlington and Stockton, but we at the West End this year made a conscious effort to try and get some involvement um, in the local area here. So on the 23rd and 24th, we're going to be in number 43 in the Market Square uh, with a display of various artefacts and bits and pieces from the Stockton and Darlington Railway. Uh, this is the first sort of uh, what you would call a modern railway um, coming along. The merchants in Darlington and Stockton realised that there must be a more economical way of getting coal from the coal fields in southwest Durham uh, to um, London and, and the home counties uh, than what was currently going on which involved a, a pack mule and, a, and a, a horse and a pannier and took forever and a day and was um, very very expensive so for more than 80 years before the railway people were looking around for a way of get, extracting the coal uh, because being businessmen they realised that uh, they could make some real money out of ex exporting it uh, and it took um, really the, 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 the vision and the, and the funds of 
the Pease family in Darlington and the engineering know-how of George Stevenson uh, to come together, which they did in April of 1821. And um, in short, Stevenson's interview with, with Edward Pease meant that he was able to enthuse him with the idea that, no, let's let's not bother with, uh, with, with a carriageway and a wooden wagon wheel. Uh, we can do it um, with um, an engine. And uh, where we can't get an engine, we, we can haul it over the ridges of both Etherley and Brusselton uh, by having a steam engine and a hemp rope towing the wagons up and releasing the wagons back down the other side of the valley and it can be done and um, in the course of that conversation Stevenson was able to enthuse uh, to uh, Pease and the, and the rest of the directors at a later meeting the idea that yes th this is possible it, it can be done so um, in October of 1821 Stevenson together with his son Robert who was at that time only 18 and a local man called John Dixon went out and surveyed the coal fields uh, and made this route uh, from the coal fields outside of Witten Park and the, the grounds of Witten Castle um, and Phoenix, today's modern Phoenix Row to, uh, to Stockton. And generally, um, previous things that they would allow for the contours of the land, but Stevenson simply drew a straight line as much as possible. Would have been even straighter if uh, the Pease family and the, the, the backers from Darlington hadn't wanted Darlington included in the route it could have gone on an even straighter line but they did see uh, the advantage of the line coming through Darlington so um, just below where modern day Newton Acliff it dog legs off to, uh, to include Darlington and then uh, comes back through uh, the outside of Northgate in Darlington which at that time there wasn't any of the present buildings there it was just north of what was then Darlington in 1822 uh, and from there, they uh, were able to um, uh, go along with the idea uh, of building a railway line. So at our end, particularly, um, they had two massive ridges at Etherley and Brusselton, and they didn't have a, any means of sort of, was an engine powerful enough to do that. But once you got to um, Shildon, the last 20 miles were more or less on, on a, on a flat plain mm. uh, we didn't have any ridges and so it was possible for the engine uh, to be coupled up to the wagons at um, what is now Cape to Cairo in a place called New Shildon uh, maybe three miles from here um, and for the last 20 miles for it to go along like that so um, we're, we're really here on the 23rd and 24th to kind of celebrate the the fact that this was, was the first modern railway on that day the 27th of September uh, it was initially uh, uh, the idea was to get coal and uh, other goods such as lead and flour um, uh, from southwest Durham uh, to the Tees and there at the Tees it would be loaded on ships and um, taken down the, down the coast to, to London where uh, the, the price made it viable that such a thing could be done. So between this, this survey being done in October of 1821 and it being accepted by the directors in December of 1822, a couple of things happened uh, majorly. A, that Stevenson himself personally is much in demand and, and from that time onwards he's, he's mainly involved with the Liverpool and Manchester Railway which is uh, in its beginnings uh, and he's working out of Liverpool so just imagine trying to work out of Liverpool in 1822 and, and keep a hand on what, what's happening in uh, remote southwest Durham not easily done so consequently uh, what they do is uh, they, they employ a couple of people majorly uh, Thomas Story and John Dixon and they seem to the, run 
the, the, the uh, building of these two massive inclines uh, and the, the necessary bridges and the purchase of land and the day-to-day thing. And uh, eventually the investors by uh, early 1825 have become somewhat agitated because they're putting the money in and, uh, well, where's the result? And they, eventually the, the, the pester Stevenson and get him to come back uh, and he's able to say that on the 27th of September everything will be in order and ready to go and we'll, we'll be able to make a start and so on the 27th of September 1825 um, it starts at the um, at the coal face uh, well the, the pits at the, the rear of Phoenix Road just outside in the grounds of Witten Castle uh, and it's the first few uh, the first 12 wagons are hauled up by a hemp rope to Ethelie Incline and down the other side and then once you get down into the Gaunless Valley at St Helen uh, there it's hitched up to a horse um, and the horse is able to pull it across the flats and then when you get to Brusselton it's pulled back from, from a second um, incline engine house um, by a hemp rope up to the top of Brusselton down the other side uh, to where it meets what Timothy Hackworth and Stevenson are there in New Shulden on on that morning at 8 o'clock that morning and they're able to couple them up to several uh, carriages that have been provided or wagons with a seat in them um, for the for the people who might want to have a ticket to, to be the first uh, ticket to ride people uh, to go anywhere. However, the uh, pedestrian tumult is such that, um, that there's over 500 people uh, and there's only something like... Um, 200 places from sit but they, they managed to crawl on board in, even to the point where they hanging off the side of the wagons or they're sitting on top of the coal uh, uh, and so <laughs> they now um, it occurs to the uh, directors well actually uh, we, we're doing this from a sort of uh, uh, industrial point of view but maybe there's a market for um, for passenger for passenger transport, transport yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which, which comes on and comes into it okay is there anything uh, John uh, that that's um, any aspect of the railway heritage that is what you might consider to be at risk, or do the Stockton Darlington friends thereof have have a have it all covered, um, or, or is there still well, more, there's, there's, still more to rescue? Oh well, the short answer is no. We don't have it all covered. At the end of the day, we're only a voluntary organisation, yeah. and um, the whole twenty six miles certainly um, the the west end of it we consider this. This, this is the best preserved sort of uh, Georgian aspect because it, it is a Georgian, it's before Queen Victoria best preserved bit because the, the line from Witten Park to uh, New Shildon only existed uh, as a functioning railway up until 1843 by 1843 they've got Shildon tunneled through and technology has moved on such that trains and engines are, are more powerful than the, what they were thinking about within 1825 so it's a, it's a massive series of uh, invention and uh, learning from what happens and why, why wagons break down and why engines break down uh, it's it's a massive learning curve so really from 1843 the the, the line at etherley and from 1858 the line at brusselton go into some kind of decline and they're just kind of mothballed because they're there and the, the, the weeds and the grass bunch grow up and so in 1975 when they their last big railway cavalcade some efforts were made and to expose it and bring back some of the, the bits and pieces so in some ways um, neglect has been a wonderful thing for it but um, on the other hand you've got uh, say in Darlington where you've got ring roads and, and various roads put in it's just not possible to find the um, or even to walk on the um, 
on the line anymore. There is among uh, a vision from Durham County Council to have a cycling and walking route for the whole 26 miles and you might remember there's, there's a good example of it already outside locomotion in Shulton where there's a, uh, a cycling and walking route that runs sort of parallel to it but in other places you'll just have to be content with being as near as possible you can because there's, there's just been major development over the years on the on the original track but at the same time when you when you get to Allen's West and you get to Eagles Cliff it's more or less still on the same line that it, it was 197 years ago Okay. Is there one particular project um, that that requires attention in the next few years that uh, the friends are going to uh, well to apply uh, themselves to? There's more than a dozen, I would say, but not just one. But I suppose the major one is w- when locomotion itself came down from being built in in uh, Robert Stevenson's uh, uh, foundry in Newcastle. It was placed on the line at what was called then called. Heinten Station, but today it's the modern day sort of Heinten Station. And anybody who knows Heinten Station, it, it's still there. The building itself is still there, uh, but it's in private ownership at the moment. And but by and large, it, it's much as it was with its uh, platform that's maybe only about a foot high, as opposed to today's modern platform that might be the best part of a meter and a half, half high. Uh, so th- th- there's a big vision to try and do something with. Um, but like all these things, it's owned by somebody and he is willing to sell it. But at the end of the day, he's a businessman. He's not able not able just simply to give us it. So uh, that, that's one of the major exciting things we try to do to uh, to get that back into ownership and, and, and to do something with that uh, that building there on the, on the original line, which is still there today. Okay, so the work continues and looks oh, like yeah. it's going to for some time. That's right. Yes, we we have, we have several groups: um, uh, an active group at Etherley, an active group at St Helen, and an active group at a place called Brussels, and that, that work on. But if anybody's daft enough, sorry, if anybody's keen enough uh, <laughs> to come along and volunteer in these groups, we, we we'd be glad to have you because um, we're all getting elderly, and um, when we do any work, we all have to go home and have a mustard bath now. Okay, John Raw, thank you very much indeed. Okay. We'll be hearing from Caroline Smith from the Bishop Big Dig very shortly after we've enjoyed the music of Rosie Anderson and Sally Smith's Lament. You're listening to a special programme on Bishop FM in support of the Bishop Auckland Heritage Action Zone Festival 2022. There's a greyness that's hanging in the valley The men are far away across the sea Instead of digging coal in County Durham They're planting mines in France to set us free There's a hoping on all the women's faces That soon this whole damn thing will all be done The pubs and streets will fill once more with laughter Every father, every husband Every son, and I long 
to brush the coal dust from your jacket and I long to fill your bath beside the fire and I'm yearning more and more for the slamming of our kitchen door and your boots upon the cobbles and the humming when you're shaving and the laughter when you're playing with the bands we're all praying that the summer will be sunny and down the river Of leather 
and the tapping of your backy and the beer breath in the morning and the laughter when you're playing with the bands. Rosie Anderson, Sally Smith's Lament. You're listening to a special programme on Bishop FM in support of Bishop Auckland Heritage Action Zone. Caroline Smith is an archaeologist. She has been working on the dig in Auckland Castle and she's also very much part of Bishop Auckland's Big Dig. Uh, Caroline Smith, welcome to Bishop FM. Tell me about the Big Dig and its place in the Bishop Auckland Heritage Action Zone Festival. We have been working really closely with um, the Heritage Action Zone and with Anne uh, and Historic England in general. We actually are part of an exhibition, which I think we do have a case. Some of our, uh, our artefacts are on display um, and uh, there's also some photographs and that kind of thing um, and some text we've written. So it's a really good place when it's open to come have a look at some of the things that we found, um, which vary hugely. Um, we've got uh, some really, really modern things. Uh, we've got a fire alarm on display, um, some uh, vinyl records, some toys as well, some, lots of marbles, um, all through the 19th and 20th centuries, all the way to medieval pottery. Um, so it gives a good cross-section of the history of Bishop Auckland so, so far. What, you've dug up vinyl records? I have dug up vinyl records, quite a few. Yeah, it was all a bit strange, really. They were some of our first finds, and I thought, wow, if this is the way it's going to go, it's going to turn out even more interesting than I thought, and it has. Uh, so we've got, I think, about five or six vinyl records. Um, we've also got um, some sleeves and vinyl records, but we don't have the records to go with them. They either come from a couple of people or one very interesting person. Um, so we've got Meatloaf, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, uh, a 1960s um, Top of the Pops uh, album. We also have uh, some things uh, from a bit earlier, from the 40s and 50s. Um, we've got Gracie Fields, uh, Harry Lauder. Um, so yeah, some really interesting things. Um, lots of Scottish Highlander music as well. Yeah, so fascinating, I, I, absolutely I was, I was fascinating. Oh, <laughs> goodness gracious me! Uh, how many of us are going to be walking uh, uh, into that exhibition thinking, "I'm looking at my past that I remember"? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've done some talks at and um, and people are always amazed. They come out saying, "I I remember that from my childhood, and I haven't thought about that for forty, fifty years." Mm. Um, so it's been really lovely in that respect. So something from what one might regard as as, as our modern history and, and heritage, but mm -hmm. uh, some artifacts going way back. Yes, yeah. Um, we actually don't have anything historical Roman yet, which uh -huh. I thought we might. Um, but we do have lots of things relating to, to medieval period. So probably our earliest pottery is something like 12th century. Um, but we have a lot of animal bone that relates to the use of the castle that's coming out of um, the marketplace area that we found, which is very, very interesting. So um, bits of deer that we think were probably raised in the castle. Um, and uh, we've even got a bird of prey, um, which, which I wasn't anticipating. So the faunal remains, the animal bones, um, they're really telling a very interesting story about that part of the, of, of the past. Um, and we have pottery as well, which dates from that, from that period. 
which is which is really fascinating. It's the sort of thing that uh, we found quite a lot of um, during excavations at the castle, mm-hmm. um, and I. I'm always amazed at when you find that further out in the field. But we've got a good scatter of medieval pottery from across the whole town so far. So it's suggesting that the, the medieval town is bigger, perhaps, than we anticipated. Um, but that's very much still something that I'm considering and looking at data. Um, and, uh, but that's the thought so far. Right. So much of what we will be able to see has come from the marketplace area. Those finds have come from the marketplace, yeah. And we, we focus quite a lot digging in the marketplace. And over the next few months, we're really expanding out. But we've actually had a good, good set of trenches we put along Ethelu Lane, Coxon Hill Road, down into the Willows and that, that sort of area. Mm-hmm. Um, and also some fields owned by um, King James I Academy as well. And High Bongate. So we've expanded out from the marketplace. But the next um, few months are really focused at looking a bit further afield towards South Church. And, and kind of the end of Coxon Hill Road sort of area. Well, I remember talking to you several months ago now about the about the big dig project and how it was going to be unearthing heaven knows what from our, from our <laughs> local area. Um, how, how's it going in people's gardens? Uh, or, or have we not got that far yet? Yeah, we've been digging in people's gardens. We've done eighty-one test pits in people's gardens. Oh wow, eighty-one! Right, eighty-one. Yes. Yeah, it's been really fantastic. Um, we've had lots and lots of people get in touch and offer their gardens up, which has been fantastic. And uh, generally, it's been absolutely fine. Everyone's been really cooperative, everyone's really enthusiastic about what we're finding, which which is great. We love it when the homeowners come out and have a look, and and some of them have actually come and dug with us, um, which has been which has been great. Um, so it's been a real a real kind of journey. It's amazing what people know about their houses um, that kind of go beyond what we know academically. So that's been a really great opportunity for us to kind of record some of those histories that, you know, are, are kind of locked with the homeowner um, and also test some of their, their beliefs and ideas about the age of the house or what it was used for. And um, we can actually kind of provide some more concrete information on that. One always associates these historic finds with somewhere like uh, the, the castle uh, at, at Bishop mm-hmm. Auckland, but uh, when one can relate it to to one's own home, it's fascinating. Yeah, and that's something that we were really keen to do. Is as I think um, I've certainly found when we've been digging at the castle and Binchester, there's this real sense that people come to look at the archaeology and look at the archaeologists working. Um, but of course, it is the town's history being uncovered, and so by excavating in the town, excavating people's gardens. I really hope what we're saying to people is that, you know, everybody's past is important um, and that the history of the town and where you live is as important as, as anywhere else and helps to tell a bigger story. So I think when we finished excavating, uh, doing the big dig and the castle and Binchester and Fort, I mean, Bishop Auckland's going to have an incredible archaeological story to tell, you know, that really is for the people of Bishop Auckland as well as, as well as you know, everyone else. But I think this is a special story that we're able to able to communicate. One of the areas uh, that I've been questioning is the subject of heritage at risk. I, I was just wondering if there, if there is any link to the archaeological digs that are taking place now where you might be able to identify areas of uh, risk to the heritage. Sure. I mean, Bishop Auckland, uh, archaeologically, that you know, histor- um, Historic England have been working very closely here. Um, the last few months so so there is quite a good under the age of the properties and what needs to be listed and that kind of thing but I think what we're finding while excavating 
is that there is a lot of archaeology that we don't know very much about and that we're uncovering in our excavations, but also a lot that, I mean, we call it truncated in archaeology, but it's where modern development or even developments kind of in the past in the 19th and 20th centuries has actually destroyed a lot of the archaeology that may be a lot older than that. And so we're telling a story as well as, um, you know, as a history of the past, but also showing how, you know, a lot of that story has been lost through perhaps slightly inappropriate development of houses or people not really understanding what's what's in their gardens or or the age of their properties, you know, before there was a mechanism in place to protect those areas. Yeah, we, we are kind of uncovering that quite a lot's been missed and a lot, uh, a lot of archaeology's been lost, but hopefully by what we're doing, we're capturing some of that information um, for future generations. You know, we're in a really a very old uh, country with a lot of history and we can't protect everything all the time, right? So what's what's the lifespan of of the big dig then? How how much longer can we keep going with it in Bishop Auckland? Sure. So we are digging until the end of December, and then it will end officially. Um, but there will be a period of time after that, which is, is going to be kind of catching up on looking at the things we found from now until December, uh, and writing the final report, and then making it publicly accessible for everybody. Um, so I think we'll be looking at that maybe around Easter time, something like that. Um, but officially, we will stop digging in December. So if anybody who is listening would like um, or is interested in having their garden excavated, then please go on our website and um, fill in that form and let us know that that's something that you would like to happen. Um, because after December, we probably won't be coming back, not in Bishop Auckland anyway, unless there's a, a particular reason to. Um, but that is when our funding runs out. So. That'll be a sad time. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. But we've, you know, we've we've dug a lot of holes so far. So, you know, I think I think our data will be really interesting. And we're trying to get a good cover over the town as well. Um, so we can tell uh, we can explore the archaeology everywhere. So hopefully we will kind of be able to to provide insight into everywhere in the town in that time. If you could uh, perhaps identify one or two items that you have unearthed. Um uh-huh. Uh, that 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 have given you um, a surprise. Uh, for for <laughs> sure. example, not not entirely sure what the artifact is, or or, oh. or one that looks totally out of place. What's that doing here? Um, any, any anything yeah. of that nature? Virtually every single test pit we dig has something like that. We had a really interesting thing that looked a bit like a cog a few uh, right when we started and. Um, we weren't quite sure what it was. It was metal, but it was pushed in a really interesting way. And it's only really through through kind of looking at lots of different examples and going into shops and kind of thing and looking at, at things with cogs that I realized it's part of a long case clock. So that was a bit of a surprise. We also had a broken figurine of a man wearing a kilt uh, with the letters underneath it saying L-A-U-D-E. I thought was Latin and meant praise and I thought oh this is really interesting and it's only when I did a talk um, a few months ago and I showed a picture of this and said to people you know I don't know what this is does anyone in this room know what it is and a very kind lady said oh no no that's a figurine of Harry Lauder who was a big music hall performer um, sort of uh, just before the first world war yes. yeah and I, I in my ignorance had never heard of him and then I realised that we actually have quite a lot of things relating to kind of Scottish music from that period which was quite interesting We've also had something I think is, is really amazing, hopefully will be on display, is a, um, a clay pipe which had uh, two figures on. 
so images of, of people kind of incised onto the onto the pipe or molded onto it. Um, I sent that off to the National Pipe Archive mm-hmm. um, to help identify what it was. And it turns out it's a pipe that was made around 1840 of uh, Native Americans. And so it was a it was a pipe that was reflecting what was happening in the news at the time, which was there's westward expansion in North America, and there were lots of um, of battles uh, with Native Americans at that time. And I think that's really amazing that we've got this little this little clay pipe, which is really fantastically well preserved, and which tells this much bigger story of uh, of kind of global politics and at the time. Um, so that was a real surprise. But we've had a huge amount of really surprising, really surprising things. And uh, it's a real joy, actually. It's it's a it's a fantastic uh, job to do because it's every day is kind of exploring and discovering something new and working with the young as well. Um, yeah, I think they're always amazed at the range and breadth of things that are kind of right under their feet. Yes, exactly. It's just underneath us. Yeah. <laughs> it just needs literally to be found. just underneath it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> no, it's all around us. Every every garden has something in. <laughs> Let's hope visitors to to the exhibition uh, mm-hmm. will will be inspired, and people listening to this uh, will be inspired to maybe think about archaeology as, as as something they might pursue. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're always looking for volunteers, and uh, I think it's it's a discipline. I mean, I certainly really enjoy it. That uses kind of a bit of every skill. I mean. Um, and, and that's one thing we tell the young people from King James that we excavate with, is that I think all it is is digging holes and finding things. I mean, there's a lot of maths involved in laying out those holes, a lot of geography involved. Um, the history, I spend a lot of my time researching uh, where we're going to dig, and then, you know, the history of that property and what was there before, perhaps. And then a lot of just detective work as well as I've just said, is, is looking at the things and saying, what is this and where does this come from? And how can I find out more about it? And yeah, it's something that really uses, I think, every part of your brain and every uh, lots and lots of different skills. So it's good fun. It's good. It's a good career, I think. Yeah. Well, who knew there was a National Pipe Archive? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, fantastic. Yes. They, um, <laughs> <laughs> they know everything there is to know about uh, about the pipes. Um, and they've been very uh, helpful to us. So T- terrific. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if people want to find out more, obviously there is the exhibition in the marketplace. Uh, yes. uh, that's on the twenty fourth of yes. September. And well done, um, yeah. will, will will any any of you be on hand to talk about the the, the project, the big dig? Um, I think on a day-to-day basis, not really, but we are always around the town. And uh, so if you see us walking around, you'll probably know because we'll, we have we look muddy most of the time. Please come and speak to us. Um, we do have open days. We have had one already in July. And uh, we don't have a date fixed, but we'll probably have one in November. And, and those will be advertised through our website and social media channels. Um, so do pop along and have a look. Uh, and we have people talking there and um, about how they identify animal bone uh, people can bring in things they find in their garden and we can help identify them for for, um, for them you can come and have a look at some of our finds um, lots of activities for children as well um, so those are good fun um, but really just come and have a have a word with us if you see us around it's uh, it's always lovely to speak to members of the public and everybody always wants to come and find out a bit more if you see us in the front garden or something 
Um, and we also go and leaflet quite a lot at different areas that we need to get more holes in. We need to get more properties signed up. And you'll often see uh, one of the team walking around knocking on doors with our little postcards um, to see if you'd be happy to let us stick in your garden. Okay. Uh, and, and, and a final note, if we want to find out more, um, mm-hmm. what, what's, what's the easiest way? I, I guess that would be online. And what are we looking for? Yeah, if you go to our website, it's www.thebishopbigdig.com. Uh, nice and simple. If you go on that, um, or if you Google us, we come up. Um, you have all the information about what we're doing, the finds that we found most recently, uh, to, to various um, kind of connecting websites um, or press we've done. Uh, and then there's also a form at the bottom of that page, uh, which if you fill in, it just drops email into my um, my inbox and I can get back to you. Um, sometimes people send us queries, but most of the time people send us a fill in that form to let us know that they'd like us to excavate in their garden and I'll get back to them and say, um, yes, we'd love to, are you free on this date? Um, we generally excavate on Thursdays and Fridays and we trust it in one day, but sometimes it can take a little bit longer depending on how deep the holes get or, or anything like that. So um, we normally say between one and three days, um, but we try and get it done in one. Okay. Well, Caroline Smith of The Big Dig in Bishop Auckland, thank you very much for your time. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully maybe we can come back and speak when we're all over and we've got some good results. Looking forward to hearing all about it. Yes, I am indeed. So uh, (laughs) once again, Caroline, thank you ever so much. Thank you, Gary. Bishop FM's Gillian Campbell attended the History Fair of the Bishop Auckland Heritage Action Zone in Bishop Auckland Town Hall on Saturday and spoke to Marilyn from County Durham Forum for History and Heritage. And this is the fascinating conversation that Gillian had with Marilyn. I'm with Marion from County Durham Forum. Hello, Marion. Hi. County Durham Forum. Well, it's County Durham Forum for History and Heritage. So it's um, an organisation that tries to bring together a lot of the local history societies and the heritage groups across the the north. And we give them a a conduit um, uh, as being members of the organisation. We are open to individuals to be members as well. Um, But the idea is, uh, with a a newsletter that goes out every quarter, they can put into the newsletter anything that they want to tell us about what they're doing as an organisation, their meetings, dates and programmes, so it goes then on a large distribution. So everybody in the, who is a member of the forum can find out about exactly what's going on across the whole of County Durham, basically subject to the individual organisations giving us the information. But we, we try and sort of form that uh, idea of being a conduit. Something's disrupted us for the last couple of years, hasn't it? Well, the disruption of the great COVID um, really led us into a, a quandary. Uh, what we did was we went on to Zoom and we set up a programme of monthly lectures where somebody we would get somebody from anywhere within the county uh, to come and do a Zoom talk for us. And uh, then it, that was open to all member groups. So every member of a member organisation was entitled to get the link to come onto the Zoom talk. Any individual was entitled to get the link to come onto the Zoom talk. And um, we found that 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 worked very well because, again, we weren't being affected by COVID. It kept a lot of the organisations together because they weren't having their own meetings. And what we've discovered is because a lot of people to do with local history are of a certain age, 
then people really wanted us to keep going so we've got a program for the rest of this year and um, if it's well attended we'll probably continue doing that so it's another avenue for the forum um, to uh, give something back to the members and the member organizations and their members so um, we're very very cheap so uh, basically as an individual member um, you will get the opportunity to have three four newsletters a year and then uh, 12 uh, lecture programs so um, you know we, we're just trying to do something to keep local history alive by supporting those organizations that are also trying to keep local history alive it sounds like really important work. How many local history societies do we have across County Durham, do you reckon? Well, in all fairness, the forum doesn't have all of them as members. You know, not only do we have local history societies that people would traditionally think of local history societies, we also have um, family history societies, so people who are interested in tracing family trees, which is a growth area now in, uh, in local history, um, because a lot of those people who are tracing the family tree have an awful lot of the very interesting photographs and the history that hasn't come out yet. So it's a fabulous source for local historians um, of the stuff that's coming down through the, through the family tree route. Uh, we also have in interested parties like um, we've, we've got up in concert, we've got the Venture Bus uh, group who meet on a regular basis uh, and obviously Steelworks so that would be north northwest Durham but it would also be down in Teesside so by the time you start trying to add up all of those you're probably talking about two or th 200 so huge numbers huge numbers we're really keen on our history here in County Durham, aren't we? Yeah, it's because that we've got such a wealth of history in County Durham. There is just so much. And um, a lot of it's quite well documented. Sadly, there is a risk that an awful lot of it's going to deteriorate or disappear. Um, you know, again, family members keeping things and then new family members when someone passes away doesn't know what to do with them. And sadly, that paper bank looks more interesting than trying to find out where the documents come from. However, we do have a lot of support from places like the record office uh, and the new project that they're, they're running about retaining records and, and documents. Do you ever get involved in house clearances? Not personally, um, but yes, there are, there are sometimes sort of like individuals in local, in their, their town as it were, somebody will say, oh well, uh, in fact during COVID, um, somebody got in touch with Durham County Local History Society and said that her father had a lot of books and she didn't know what to do with them, so she contacted Durham County Local History Society and uh, I went and had a clandestine catch-up in a car park for a bag of books right in the, the, the heat of Covid uh, and, uh, and it was just yes it's like a load of interesting books about uh, about Anfield Plain so it was in Anfield Plain Tesco car park that I met them. It sounds fascinating so if people wanted to get more involved or if any of our listeners wanted to maybe join um, the, the, the forum how would they do so how would they contact you um, well obviously we, we I've got here I've got um, application for membership forms but uh, but we do have um, uh, information on, uh, on the website uh, and there is a Facebook page so um, you can get uh, an email to us as well um, so it would be sort of yb2u15 at gmail.com and someone would pick that up and send out a membership application form. Um, but, but again, I mean, by putting in Durham County History and Heritage Forum, 
uh, you will come up with a, a website and you'll be able to get your membership form from there and details of who to send things to or who to email. That's brilliant, thank you. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me. And uh, yeah, I hope you have a lovely day and you get lots of visitors to your stall. It's Thanks brilliant. very much.